From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast, brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain, or indeed a pirate, but a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one, and his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. And ahoy there, my hearties, and welcome back on board my pirate ship, the Reeve Gauche, and for another episode of The Captain's Table. My guest this week is known universally in the world of rugby as the Fun Bus. Three times a British and Irish Lion in 1993, 97 and 2001, Jason Leonard also won 114 caps for England during his 14-year international career and played the majority of his club rugby in the front row for Harlequins. He was inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame in 2014 and is also indisputably the most dangerous man to get caught in the pub with, particularly if he is with his mate, Lawrence Delalio. Since then, he has swapped his jersey for a blazer and in 2015 was made president of the RFU and is currently chairman of the British and Irish Lions. I can hear his footsteps on the gangplank right now. So let's welcome him to the captain's table. Jason Leonard, welcome on board the Reeve Gauche into the captain's table podcast. Please pull up a chair and make yourself at home. Thank you, Skipper. Oh, well, it's good to see you. your bags. Go on, they're quite big bags as well. They're going to be taken to your cabin by the steward, Paul. When you see your cabin, just beware. There's lots of pets on boards. We've got a dog called Bruce. We've got a cat called Cat. John the Parrot, Parrot. We've got the lot. It's chaos. It's a menagerie here. Um, but you will be comfortable, and I hope you're not allergic to anything. Now, <clears throat> how have you been getting on during your lockdown? Uh, it's like, like everyone else is. You, you muddling through it. It's, I always say it's, <clears throat> no one's going to find it easy. It's, it is a struggle, but... Um, there's, there's always people, you, you, I'm always reminding myself when I start feeling sorry for myself, there's always someone worse off than you. And, uh, and, and sadly, I think that there's, there's a lot of that. And again, you just muddle through it and yeah. And in the biggest scheme of things, I'm, I'm okay. 
Well, you're looking very well, if I may say so. But to help you, because, you know, it's been tough for all of us, I need to get you a drink. You come on board my boat. So normally pirates um, offer their crew and guests uh, sort of flagons of rum, but this is a classier ship. Um, so the usual tipple of choice is Loch Lomond single malt whiskey. So firstly, how do you take yours? You have a bit of ice, a bit of water, ginger ale, Coke, straight up, orange juice. How do you want your whiskey? Uh, I'll have it with uh, a bit of ice, but I, I tend to have it at the end of the night by, by a, a huge fire, very much just relaxing and having a sip. Well, can I just suggest that we don't have a huge fire on the ship? On, board, yeah. on, the, on the ship, because there's quite a lot of cannon as well. It could, we could be, this could be, we, obituaries could be written about you. Anyway, enough of this utter nonsense. Um, Jason Leonard, rugby player, everybody knows that. And then you became a sort of blazer and you became important in the sort of grandee of the sport. But we all know what you were like when you were young. But what was your early sporting memory as a boy? I think you grew up in the East End or East Side of London. As a as a young lad growing up, and I mean more as a fan rather than playing, what do you remember? Um, a, a bit of soccer, because obviously growing up in that neck of the woods, West Ham was obviously my 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 soccer team. Um, I'd mostly say I, I had more drive for um, for boxing. Really, boxing sort of permeated around the family, and there's boxes in the family and then I used to love some of those as a kid growing up some of those great fights that you remember all your Hagler Hearns uh all those sort of guys and did you go to did you go to boxing locally did you um were you able no, to be taken to bouts I did a little bit but um it, the problem for me was I was I was quite a big kid at that time, and you're still quite a big kid. <laughs> <laughs> still very much a big kid. Um, <laughs> and I just it, it, it was it was a bit soul destroying, really, because you couldn't really fight anyone your own your own age, but at the same dare I say it weight, um, because I was I was a big physical kid. Um, but then rugby come in, and then it was rugby as a sport was just fantastic for me, obviously, because being that physical type of kid, it was a perfect game to play. Yeah. And I was going to say, do you think rugby found you because of the physicality? You're a big boy growing up and here was a sport that kind of needed big physical units like you in order to, to, to help the game go along. And therefore it was a, a match made. Now, what I mean was, was it in your family rugby or was it more that your physicality no. meant that rugby found you? Yeah, no, rugby wasn't in my family. Um, Again, as you alluded to, basically it's a football part of the world. Uh, a lot of the schools didn't really play rugby uh, at, at the comprehensives in my neck of the woods. Um, I always laugh. My my dad is uh, he's a darts player because everyone sort of say, "Oh, you you must come from rich rugby pedigree," sort of thing like that. They go, "My dad's a darts player. What are you talking about?" Sort of thing like that. He's, he's never been anywhere near a, a rugby ball. So, yeah, I think it was a case of rugby family and that. It was just, it was, it's, it's just a great sport. And and I still do believe that it's a game for all shapes and sizes. And going, going to football, though, you, you're a hammer, but you're still a West Ham fan. So did you go, um, did you go to the football when you were young? Was that something you were able to do, you were allowed to do? Uh, not religiously. I've got to say that now because it was, it, again, in those days, 
violence was a, a big thing. So it, it, was, it was steering clear of a bit of that. But some of the, so yeah, we, we got taken and uh, sort of my dad and my uncles and stuff like that and a couple of family friends had tickets and we'd always be able to go, but I won't say it was every weekend. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't every sort of fortnight in that aspect for me, but when you used to go, it was a real treat. I used to love it, the, the characters that would be there. Oh, yeah. And what age were you then when you started to play rugby and before you became a fan of rugby? If that did, I imagine it happened that way around. You started to play the game and then got to know the game in terms of watching other people play. Did you become a fan of rugby or was it more you were just big and good at it? No, it was, it was, it was uh, about 10, I think I took it up at about 10 years of age. I was at school. It wasn't at a rugby club. Um, and I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was a PE teacher that turned up and basically said, um, and I, I was playing in the in the football team, and uh, and we're all sitting there quite smug. And this this well this 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 PE teacher turned up and literally said, um, "I'm looked at the school curriculum, and, and I can see you guys don't play rugby." And we're all, "Yeah, yeah, you're right, we don't." He went, "You will do next next term," and that's how it came back. And and I just again I thoroughly enjoyed the sport and never really looked back after that. Still, still love all sports. I think anyone who's involved in any sport, you sit down and watch anything in, in that aspect. I love all anything that's competitive. I'll sit down and watch. It, it's amazing, though, the influence, isn't it, that one human being can have what then shaped the whole of your life was a, an individual, a gentleman saying, right, you lads are going to have a go at, at rugby. He brings it in. You take it up. The rest is history. It, it, I mean, it's sliding doors in a way, isn't it? It is. I mean, when when you you're quite mindful of the fact that when you you actually pull on your your jersey for your your country, you're representing representing all those people. You know, you're you're representing your family. They're, they've taken you and stood stood in the pouring down rain and, and stuff like that. You're you're representing your neighbours that have taken you to matches or other people's parents and the coaches that have given up time to do it. And all so you, you, you've actually got a lot of responsibility when you're actually lining up for the national anthem before playing your first game for your country. You are representing all those people that have helped you along that way. And um, it's, 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 it's a powerful thing as well. That it's, it's, it's a good reminder in the aspect that, as you said, sliding doors. You, Without the help of all these people, you most probably wouldn't have made it. In I, I have I, well, I have a lot. I have memories of, of 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 watching you playing, and we've known each other for quite a long time. But I, back in the day when you we're, we're similar vintage as well, and when you were singing the national anthem and stuff, and your big chest puffed out, you, it was clearly like it would be for anybody singing the national anthem at Twickenham or ever must be the most amazing feeling. But do you remember those feelings? All those things you said of all the people that you're representing and the family who got you there were there moments where you're just singing almost for them just aware that whilst you're on the field of play singing but actually you're, there's something far bigger than that yeah i think every single time actually that's that's part of it it's 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 knowing and recognizing that and i think everyone does i mean you obviously have the joy of playing as well and then playing with your teammates because these the guys you're playing with actually are your mates in that aspect um but you, you're always mindful that you are there representing all those people that have helped you there. And without their help, you more than likely wouldn't have made it. So it is quite an emotional moment. 
Oh, I can I can only imagine. I, I, the only singing I do is in the pub. But tell me, who were your um, earliest sporting heroes? Who did you have posters on the wall of of of, of footballers, or cricketers, or rugby players? What, did you have any of that? No, as, as I said, I didn't didn't really. If it, if I did, it was more boxing. As I said, I think the, the those middleweights sort of that you, you, I was talking about earlier. Um, but no, I, I didn't really have any rugby ones until I started playing rugby properly and then watching some some games properly. Um, I didn't really have any. And then, and then basically by the time I got into the England team, I was, I was only just 21 years of age, just just turning 22. And, um, and some of the guys that I'm playing with basically were your heroes to a certain degree. Someone like a Peter Winterbottom that had been there for, for years. And was a fantastic player, but you'd look up to people like that. I, didn't, I never had people on my wall or, or anything like that. But the people that you respected, I was blessed that I actually ended up playing for England with those players. And we go back to sort of fandom. You've talked about being a hammer, and I imagine you're an East London boy that's lived, I think, in the west of the city for a long time. But presumably, your allegiance has never changed. You're a hammer till you die, oh, right? Yeah, you still, <clears throat> you still text load of load of boys that still go through the boxes and, and and stuff like that and even just with the the, the, the game the other night i mean beating spurs uh, i mean i was laughing my, i was i saw another fan in the in the park doing a walk this morning and he was saying oh we should texting people about it and i was going i've actually got blisters on my thumbs i was texting so many people <laughs> about west ham's win over tottenham sort of thing like that but no as you say i always laugh it's, it's one of those ones that the, the characters that it throws up, I always remember as a kid, and I didn't appreciate it at the time. When I got a bit older, yeah, I did. It was watching um, watching Alf Garnet on the TV, and it's his missus having a go at him, and having a go at Alf Garnet, and, and she's there ripping into him. She goes, you, you love that bloody football club more than me. And he turned around and he goes, I love Millwall more, more than you, something like that. And it's not until you you understand the the complexities of a, a West Ham Millwall relationship when you grow up and you see it and you think, oh, I, I get that joke completely now, sort of thing like that. So yeah, it's it's all those nuances. And when you um you, you know you've I would imagine Twickenham is your favourite stadium to have played um, rugby in, and maybe Cardiff was the most atmospheric, and I, I know all of that. But as a, as a fan, do you have a favourite sporting stadium to go to? that you've just loved going to because of all of those things, the characters, the atmosphere? I, 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 from a, a soccer point of view... Or I any think, point of view, or, well, or I, cricket I, I or anything. Say, no, I'd, I think they're all great it, to a certain degree. I, I Going from the old, uh, the old stadium from West Ham, going to the, what was the, the Olympic Stadium... Um, Again, you just don't get it. It's just so far away. So I, I do remember just being next to people and you could shout at someone and tap someone on the shoulder and all that. You're so close. That was such a great atmosphere. Um, I think rugby-wise, I, I think, as you said, the, the, the Welsh National Stadium is fantastic. I'll tell you what was most probably the, the best for atmosphere as a player was in the early 90s. We played a couple of games against France at the old football stadium, the old Parc de France. Now, that was an amazing stadium. The noise and the, the crowd, it was electric every single time I played there. And 
and and literally you'll always get someone throw throw the old cock over the, the, the sort of fence and all this so there'd be this bloody cockerel running around the pitch and you're trying to trying to catch that to get it off the pitch and the, the bands were playing and the noise was just just brilliant that was most probably one of my first ever experiences of, of that sort of what can it's you say that fever yeah, that, but... it, was, it was unreal it was, it was amazing and and of course being quite lucky at that time England had a, a pretty good side so we, we won more than we lost in that aspect do you um like when you watch sport? Are you an avid sports fan of any sport? Yeah, uh, again, I can sit down and you turn the cricket on, and that's that's it. You, you just sat there for the rest of the day. So if you if you're to watch sport, is it in the pub at home, big giant screen with a bottle of red or whatever, or in the stadium drinking it all in? What do you prefer? It'd, it'd have to be the real thing. It'd have to be the stadium. It'd have to be I, the the next best is is the pub, but. I suppose to a certain degree, it depends. When you talk to different people, different um, fans, it, it's whilst it's great watching it in real time, uh, any sport, to, to go back home or to go somewhere and then be able to watch it again in private, bit of quiet, to assess what's gone on, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it would be, that's always pretty good. Because again, sometimes you can see something in a stadium and you think, oh, that's a trial. That's not a trial. That's a goal. That's not a goal. But it's not until you, you actually watch it properly in in the sort of haven of your your, your home or whatever it would be and, and then assess it and go, actually, yeah, that was a try. Yeah, that's, that was worthy and stuff like that. It's, that's, that's a pretty good thing to have as a backup, but I think it's always going to be in real time. Always, any are, you emotion- are you emotional as a, as a fan? Do you cry? Would you, if um, something's no, happened? No, no I, I'm most probably still... From a rugby point of view, I still still play the game. I, I, I overplay the game in my head. So again, I'd be assessing what's going on in front of me, saying, why did you kick there when you could have passed? Or why did you pass there when you should have kicked? And I don't enjoy the moment in that aspect where if I go to a soccer game or go to a cricket match, um, I enjoy it far more because it's not really my, my sport in that aspect. You I enjoyed it occasionally more. Sorry, that, that's, you, yeah, that's yeah. the best way of explaining it. It's interesting because you were one of the first Centurions, I think, in the game, weren't you? The first players yeah. to get to 100 caps, one of the first three or four, I think. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll so you went, on, you went on for bloody ages is what we're really saying. But at some point you had to make that decision to retire and stop. And what was it like then, those early days of having to be a fan of the sport that you'd given 14, 15 years of your life? that transition of having to watch objectively when really wanted to probably still in your head, still be out there fighting a good fight. I, I think that only lasts for a few seconds, Charles, to be quite honest. Uh, <laughs> it's like anything else. You, you, you stand up for the national anthems, say at Twickenham, you're watching the game and uh, you, you, you give respect to the opposition, their national anthem. You sing your national anthem and you are, I would say, yeah, you're, your chest swells, you're there going, oh, I'd love to be out there. I'd love to be out there. And then you see the the ball gets kicked off, the match gets kicked off, someone catches it. You see the first half a dozen tackles and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm finished. I'm so glad I'm finished. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a sense of reality. I think we all we all tend to do it sort of like push your shoulder back, push your shoulders back, puff your chest out going, oh, yeah, I could, I could have a bit of this. And then you watch the first 
half a dozen or so tackles and it's like, no, I'm, I'm in the right place, so in the stands. Well, this is good because one of my questions is now is that you and I, when, when lockdown is over, supposing and it is not an impossible uh, uh, thing, this, is that we go to Twickenham together and, you know, you won't be in your blazer this time. Those days are gone. You're a former president, not a current president anymore. Anyway, it's half time and we nip out to go and have something to eat. And we we, we don't want to go to the fancy Obolensky restaurant or any of that. And we can go down to one of those burger um, or one of those food caravans they've got down there. What do you have? What's your favourite food at a sports event? I'll get you a pint. That's easy. But what's your what's your sin food? Well, I won't call it a sin food. Uh, I, I think <laughs> a, a, a simple cheeseburger is, is that's advice. Um, yeah. But I most probably just wouldn't have one. I'd most probably have about three of them. That's the, that's the problem. Because um, I know start what... Some, a start from the main course. Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> I, I know what's coming. So, um, yeah, no, I, again, I, I think, for me, a day at Twickenham, and whilst the, the hospitality is, is fantastic and all this, going out into the car park is, I think, still one of the highlights of the occasion in, in that aspect, going seeing people, have a drink there, have a catch-up with people, whether it be sausage rolls or sandwiches or whatever it would be and all that, and just catching up with people. I, I think that's still one of the highlights at Twickenham. Totally agree. Now, we're just going to just segue a little bit into golf because Loch Lomond Whiskies are the spirit of the Open Golf Championship. So I have to ask you a few questions about golf. And this may not take long. It may do. Do you play? Yes, badly. Oh, good. Well, we're, we're already we're already set for a happy day. And what, are you a hacker? I, I'm a thumper. Uh, I, can, I can smack the ball. I just can't guarantee it's going to go where I want it to go. <laughs> and do you play? Did you play when you were... Did you learn when you were sort of playing as a player that it was one of the things to do on a day off or whatever, just go and have a smash around? No. Um, I've got to say this now. I, I think as a prop forward in rugby union, um, the last thing I wanted to do on my day off was to walk around a golf course hitting a little ball. I, I'd spent all week smashing into rucks and malls and scrums and and lifted big weights. And the last thing I actually wanted to do was was to go around the golf course. Um, so I didn't really start playing golf until I actually retired, really. Um, and it's a great it's a great sport. I really enjoy it, but it's, it's like anything else. It's like if you want to improve in anything, you've, you've got to give it the respect it deserves and, and, and put a shift in. And, and I, I just don't get enough time to play golf. That's, that's the problem. Well, one of the questions I've got, which I ask everyone, um, is... Um, who would your dream team, if you could have a four ball that you could go out with? Now, you did this famously. I think you had the Jason Leonard drinking 15, which our mutual good mate, Gav Hastings, was thrilled to make fullback for. But we're just going to condense it. It doesn't have to be about drinking. But who would you like to be on a golf course with three other mates from, from any walk of life, just knowing that you'd have a belting afternoon of banter and smacking the ball around? Uh, I've got to say, I, I, there's too many a name. Skipper, to be quite honest. Um, again, only because I'd want to play with people that it's fun, it's enjoyment, it's, it's the banter. Um, I always laugh as as a ex-professional uh, rugby player. And um, you, you do, again, as I said, my golf is erratic. You'll always get some smart arse. I hit the ball and and 
shank it or whatever it would be. And some someone would say to you, "Oh God, you're you're no Tiger Woods," and you're like, "Really? Let's see what Tiger Woods is like playing prop forward. Let's see what he's <laughs> like there." Yeah, that, you always get some smart ass that says that. But um, I, I've got too many. I mean, out of all, all the, the the guys, the, the the England guys and mates and and all my barking lot and all this. I just want to go out and have fun. And so we should have a golf day for you. We should have a golf day for you rather than a four ball and just exactly, get a whole bunch exactly. of them. Yeah. And and again, someone like you you bring Gav along, but 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 the problem with Gav is he'd most probably win it. He plays so much golf in, in there. Well, he doesn't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, going moving back to the general sport, I imagine you've been lucky enough, like me, to go to a few sporting events around the world, you know, being a guest of X, Y, and Z. Is there an event that you haven't been to around the world that you just love to go to once? Oh, no, I haven't been to. Um, yeah, I think that's a tough one, actually. Um, a lot of people say Super Bowl. Have you been to a Super Bowl? No, I've been to a Super Bowl. Um, yeah. uh, again, Olympics that was here, that was, that was so fantastically organised in 2012. And... Um, then you have a look at the World Cup that that, that was organised here in, in 2015. That was organised fantastically. You have a look at um, golfing tournaments, like some of the championships. That, that... You've been to Vegas for boxing? Yeah, been to Vegas for boxing as well. Have you really? Um, yeah, uh, and and for the cage fighting and for the the, 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 other, the other type of uh, McGregor, I think it was at the time. That was that was surreal, but that again was fantastic. It, again, I think any any sports person would go to anything that had an element of competition that you'd want to be there and and be part of the occasion. I don't think there's many things I've not managed to do. I tell you one. I tell you one that I've not been to. I've, I've been on sailing and stuff like that. The America's Cup. That mostly would be one of them in that aspect. Um, and actually. There's a certain element of that's that's a bit of class there in that aspect. Yeah, I think that'd be a good one. You're the first person to say that too, so I'm mm. going to come with you on that trip when yeah. we go, if we can convince uh, the powers that be to let us go. That would be a dangerous mission, but I think well worth it. Um, I imagine also that you've, through your, your long sporting career, um, that you've met a lot of uh, a lot of sporting heroes from different sports, is there someone that you'd like to have met that didn't, alive or dead, that's someone that you just, oh, as a sports person, I'd love to have met them? Uh, again, I, I think growing up with a love of boxing, I, I think you most really would say straight away Muhammad Ali in that aspect. But then you could go back further and some of the other great fighters. Um of yester, yesteryear, even go back further. Um, sort of like Rocky Marciano, that was the first unbeaten champion in, in that aspect, or go back even further than that. Um, Stanley Ketchell, that was a middleweight fighter that ended up fighting all the heavyweights at that time of the turn of the century. Um, so, but again, all the stories that were, were with them. And, and, and again, just... Growing up in a in a in a family that used to buy the the magazines like the Ring magazine and and, and stuff like that, and you'd go through these old stories and, and stuff like that of yesteryear, 
And it was just amazing thinking of what these guys did in their time, in that era. And then again, you have a look at how Muhammad Ali is, is such a, was such a great person in that aspect. Uh, just sit think- at the table and break bread with them would be absolutely amazing. Well, and, and do you think, I mean, I think boxing, you know, it's the ultimate, it's the pugilist sport, the bravery involved, to, you know, at any level to, to, to box. And, and you take Ali and, you know, the, the rumble in the jungle and all of those things, the bravery of, of him to, to, to fight in the way he did. You played a pretty scary game, particularly in the front row, um, which is a fairly, uh, a fairly, fairly aggressive place to be. Um, was there? A, you're allowed to say this now. You're in your fifties. Was there ever a player that was like, "Oh Christ, he felt really frightening," and he thought, well, "I hope I don't get on the wrong end of one of his haymakers or whatever." Was it? Was there a sort of snarly player that you thought, oh, "God, he's he, he's I want to want to meet him late at night." There's a, there's a couple of a couple of French props that were fantastic props. Garraway was was one of them. Uh, Pascal Ondance was another. Great prop that I played against him. He was he was a fantastic prop, tough as anything. The the, the toughest one out of a lot of them is, is sadly no longer with us. Is a guy called Norman Hadley, who was the Canadian captain, who was about six foot eight and about I don't know about 20, 20 stones, twenty one stone, and he he could handle himself. He could. He was quite a handful. Um, but yeah, I suppose to a certain degree. I don't think of it like that only because you 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 said it at the at the start when you said like boxing has this uh, courage because once you 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 no one else can join you in the ring you're on your own sort of thing like that I think with team sport especially with rugby is you have other people with you in that aspect and and even though it's tough you're not there on your own you 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 win as a team and you lose as a team but you do that together. And final rugby question. You would watch players ghost past you, backs and forwards, you know, in the, having dusted yourself down for a big scrum or whatever. Who was the most naturally talented rugby player playing with you or against you that you ever saw? You said, bloody hell, they just had it. Uh, the French fullback, Serge Banker, most probably just just gifted, just could do anything he, he likes. Um, and then on top of that, what was, what was always amazing, watching Serge play, he used to smoke about 40 cigarettes a day. So you used to see him before the game, sort of like smoking away. And then you see him at half-time smoking. And then you see him at the end of the game smoking. You're like, and then the guy the guy run like a, a Rolls Royce. And he's, How the hell does that happen? Something like that. He was uh, an amazing player. In, in, and he, he would have been absolutely amazing in any era. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, we now come to the part of the show which I call the Captain's Broadside, where I ask you a, a series of fancy, like slightly random questions. Um, so the first thing is, um, you've come on board my ship, the Reeve Gauche, and we are free to sail anywhere in the world. You get to choose the destination. Where can we drop you off? Oh. Uh, anywhere in the Med. Anywhere in the Med. Right. That's easy. That should be about two weeks sail, which is good. So you're sitting around this beautiful oak table table and we're going to feed you every night. Cracking grub, I promise you, but you get to choose the menu on night one. So what is the Jason Leonard three-course meal? And, and by the way, I throw in cheese course separate. 
So it's still three courses. I want starter, main, and pud. Okay. Uh, starter. Oh. Salmon. That's it. That's easy. Um, main. <laughs> any any meat, just lots of it. That's that, that's that's basically do, the, the main. Do you need any veggies with that or not? Not particularly. Uh, veggies are um, welcome, but not necessarily uh, required in that aspect. <laughs> um, my dessert. What would my dessert be? Uh, I'd be quite simple. If, again, if I'm going to have the cheese course as well, I'd be quite simple. Just strawberries and cream would be fine for me. Very nice. Well, we'll get that sorted. I'll get Paul the steward to, to whistle all that up for a bit later. You're going to have to dress for dinner, um, but we will, you'll see, give you a beautiful ensuite cabin with a power shower, which is quite improbable given this is a 18th century pirate ship, but go along with the metaphor. What song, what song will you sing in the shower? Oh. And do you have a good voice? Uh, terrible voice. Um, what song would I have? Uh, something, something cheery, <laughs> especially at this moment in time. Uh, I want to be like you at the Jungle Book. How about that? <laughs> I've got a picture in my mind now, which is not working no, for no, me. No, no, no. A picture in your mind is not good anyway in the show. I'm slightly worried about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll move on. But it's a, what was your first ever... You, we're a, of the vintage. You'll understand the question. Some don't. What was your first album that oh, you bought? Oh, God. I'll tell you what. I don't know what that would be. It would be... That's a toss-up. It, it, it would either be... I think it would most probably be... It'd either be something by, by Jam or Early Madness, most probably. Jam, Jam, most probably, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was Kings of the Wild Frontier, Adamant, and then Complete Madness was my second. Yeah, I see. There was good, good music in those mm. days. And um, do you remember your first car? My first car was a green Vauxhall Astra. It was. And what, and what age were you when you got that? I, yeah, I would have been, would have been about 18 years of age, yeah. Like you probably loved it. You, you probably uh, loved it more yeah, than any car you've ever had. You, you thought it was so fast. You thought it was so cool. And it, it, it wasn't at all in, in that aspect. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's your first car. And it, it just come up and I managed to get it on the cheap. And uh, yeah. I've got to say, my, my cars obviously have now got, over the years, have got wider and wider, as, as I've got wider and wider as well. So, <laughs> so as now, it's, it tends to be over the last 20 years, it's, they've, they've only been a four by fours. Oh, very enough. And do you remember what your first ever live gig was? No, I don't. No, do you I go don't. to music much? Is that a thing you no, enjoy? No, no, it was, it was, it was something that you, you would do it, but it, it, would, come, it would come up... Um, I'd actually say one one of the uh, I remember an escapade then from the rugby club where we went to watch the Drifters one night playing in deepest darkest Essex somewhere, and that that was a good fun night. Just all the old songs, but most probably all the old songs that would be churned out by the rugby club, but actually sung properly. That was always quite nice to actually hear what, these, what it was actually what they should be. Like. Yeah. 
And do you have a, a hidden talent? Like, you know, some people might be able to play the guitar or, I don't know, play play the spoons or something. Is it something you, I don't mean musical, anything that everyone knows about you, but actually you do something well, well you're a good flambe chef or something. Is there something you, you've got a talent for? There's not actually, I don't think. Um, I wouldn't say, no, I don't think I have. I, I, do you like cooking? I look at the size of me, of course, of course. I, I like cooking. I, I like eating more. That's that's the problem. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I'm not. No, no I, I, I used to break. I used to break everything as a kid, so I never kept anything. I'd always break it. Um, I don't. There's only one toy. There's only one toy that I never broke in my whole childhood, which was, and as as we are of a similar vintage you'll know what it is it was a tonka truck but it was a proper well-built tonka truck it was just not like that big and i buckled this truck for years it was absolutely stoved in and always for lo- love my money i could not break it but everything else i broke within seconds literally my, <laughs> my parents would give you one of those uh well, the the, the 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 jumpers that you used to sit on and, and, and jump. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the um, yeah. oh yeah, the space balls, space hoppers, yeah, space hoppers, hoppers. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I, I lasted all of about thirty seconds. <laughs> and then, uh, now that's another mental image. I'm, I'm yeah. enjoying so that I'm, one. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just handing that back to my parents. Going, oh, sorry, there you go. I nearly, I nearly, my, I used to love my my grandparents i remember once i nearly blew my nan up because because i left i turned one one being naughty as a kid i turned all the gas all the gas on on the fire and she obviously went in to light the fire and obviously this this ball of flame come and and i didn't really and she of course she leave him alone leave him alone. My, my parents were tearing a strip off me oh leave him alone he didn't know he didn't know but she actually had no eyebrows left where oh they'd all been singed off. So it was pretty serious. In, in that yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, the <laughs> gosh. My final question is that this is a pirate ship. It's built for smuggling, obviously. Um, if we could smuggle your most treasured possession, um, inanimate, obviously, on board, and we could bury it in a chest somewhere safely for all time, is there something from your life or career or whatever that you've you've won or got or have that you would just want to keep safe for all time? Oh, I'm, I'm not particularly worried about um, possessions, keepsakes in that aspect. I, I think the memories, the memories are the most important thing. And and whilst the, a keepsake is, is there, it's the material, it's the memories that you want to hold on and protect. And that that's mostly what I would do. Then if, if there's an ability to save all the happy memories of the people and where you've been. And again, people that have, have helped you and shaped your life and, and there's bonds there and stuff like that. that. That's those happy memories. That's what I would want to save and protect. Well, Jason, I think as a player and as someone who's been involved with the game of rugby for so long, I think you've created a lot of very, very happy memories for a lot of rugby people, both on and off the field. So You've been a wonderful guest and it's a real pleasure to have you on board the Reeve Gauche and at the captain's table. Thank you very, very much for coming on board. And as we've mentioned earlier, this is the classy pirate ship and we'll do things a little bit differently. So we don't want you to leave 
empty-handed and we want to give you our own special type of treasure. So we're going to make sure you get a bottle of 12-year-old single malt whiskey from our friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies with my thanks. That's very kind. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks very much indeed. Jason Leonard. Cheers. Jason Leonard. Need I say any more? A true giant of rugby. For all our listeners, we are so grateful for your support of the show and we don't want you to leave with your cellars empty either. And so our kind friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies are once again giving away a bottle of their 12-year-old single malt whiskey. To be in with a chance of winning this bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts and follow the instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained and Loch Lomond Whiskies, thank you for your support for all the shows we make. We are so grateful for your time. And if you do get a chance, please tell your friends about this show, about the podcast, and get them to find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pod fix by searching Are You Not Entertained? If you want to follow me or get in touch, you can do so on Twitter at GilesMorgan71 or via email at giles at gilesdmorgan.com. So until we meet again, make sure you keep your cannons muzzled, your timbers shivered, and your boat shipshape and Bristol fashion at all times. Goodbye. <laughs>